Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the D50 Shades of D&D podcast. Episode 10, or episode 2 of season 2, however we feel like labeling it this week. I'm here with my cohorts, Rick. Hey! And James. Hey, how's it going? And our pal and co-conspirator for this week, Trevor. How's it going, everybody? And this week's topic of conversation will be... Morkborg, uh, from what is it? Free League Publishing. Uh, the Stockholm Cartel. So, uh, James, would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, Morkborg? Sure. Uh, Morkborg is a tabletop RPG done in a style that is pretty much if a death metal metal album uh, or vinyl uh, cover had been an RPG handbook uh it is a dark uh fantasy role-playing game uh that uh imagines a world that is on the edge of collapse uh and being in the end times you play a down and out adventurer murderer cutthroat um that is seeking to survive in a uncertain, dangerous, and uh, disastrous time. A setting that we've all become very familiar with. Yeah, so pretty much, yeah, pretty pretty much 2020 is the setting, and um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, nihilistic, uh, uh, existential dread-inducing tabletop RPG that. Uh, absolutely loved so uh am i right in saying that you ran us through one of the adventures in the book yes we ran through the adventure at the back of the book uh the rot black sludge or the shadow king's lost error okay and uh for this adventure I, i was like frugal and i was wretched royalty uh what were you rick uh i was a guy with um some really nasty teeth. <laughs> and Trevor? Uh, I played a, a Fugel Starson, and I was an esoteric hermit. Okay. And we all used... Uh, uh, Trevor, did you use the online character generator, or did you roll yours? No, I, I generated my character in about five minutes right there. Once I figured out how to find what I needed in the book. I, I definitely use the uh, the generator. Yeah, I use the online general generator and push the button until I got a screen with a white background, so I didn't have to change my printer settings. Because <laughs> that's that's how dedicated I am to this project. So, just just for audience at home, if you if you are using the character generator and you print it doesn't matter what the background is because it uses a print style sheet and will print in white when you print it so whatever james <laughs> so uh I, I think we all greatly enjoyed the adventure i we all we all survived even right yeah unfortunately oh yeah. no 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 that's wrong there was a bit of a explosion at the end. Oh, that's right. No, Rick's character uh, did not make it. He I sacrificed up, myself. He ended up exploding a bomb in the rot black sludge uh, and killing the uh, deranged uh, psychopath at the end of the dungeon. And almost killing his friends in the process. It's true. 
keyword yeah, almost. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I guess we that means Trevor and I got away with a little bit more of the loot. So it was a win-win situation. Yeah. Um, the the boss fight at the end was pretty intense. You... Oh, I just found I just found my character. <laughs> Sorry, I was uh, I was Felban. I was a Thanged Deserter. The Thing Deserter is one of my favorites because his the default is to play classless and there is no class. Uh, but if you take one of the optional uh, classes like the Thing Deserter, uh, they each have a special power. The Thing Deserter's power is he has really big teeth. The end. <laughs> so uh, something we wanted to mention to you, James, because you brought up that the kind of the aesthetic or the visuals is kind of reminiscent of a death metal album. But we actually were analyzing this just before you got on. And Rick brought up that color-wise, there's not very many death metal albums that have bright pinks and yellows. And we not that I am not that I am an expert. I mean, if we were to like uh peruse my collection of uh death or as the cover says doom metal it specifically says doom metal so if you were to look at my vinyl albums uh, we'd find no no doom metal albums or death metal or really vinyl i don't really have any vinyl <laughs> so i am not the target audience here so audience at home uh if you have a brightly colored uh doom metal album send it rick's way uh he could he could use it <laughs> So we actually are, are there such a thing? I, I believe there are. There are. We actually compared the, the color scheme and stuff more to the Sex Pistols Sex Pistols Nevermind the Bullocks album cover. Yeah. Yeah. Although the artwork the artwork is very death metal. And uh Trevor compared it to Bolt Thrower. Bolt Thrower. Bolt Thrower yeah. was uh I don't know if Bolt, they're still yeah. I don't know if they still do music, but they were a they were a a, a metal band in the eighties that was unabashedly uh, addicted to Warhammer 40,000. And so everyone, their covers were Warhammer 40,000 covers and, uh, and they had rules and, and scenarios inside their, their vinyl. So, yeah. Yeah. I do myself have some death and leprosy and cannibal corpse around the corner on my CD shelf. And that that's the vibe I get from the artwork, but as we had said, the the color scheme and the fonts and stuff kind of are, are a little more re reminiscent of European punk. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the nihilism uh, connection, I think, for sure. Uh, it's funny you should mention Bolt Thrower, too, is the, the whole game also kind of gives me a very Warhammer fantasy vibe. Um, it really reminds me in some parts of the aesthetic of, of Warhammer Fantasy, particularly like the the first edition of that by Hog Hogshead Games. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Uh, you know, I think that if you look at Morkborg, it is it's it's a deconstructed game, and uh, and certainly it takes advantage of that deconstructed design element. And if you look at the classes, they feel like uh, professions in Warhammer Fantasy, right? So they're short. Yeah. They're not, they're, they, 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 except they don't have an exit strategy because you're not supposed to exit except through death in this game. But uh, yeah, they, they feel like, uh, like a condensed, very shortened uh, uh, character concept. 
this the whole game to me, if we were to put it in a Warhammer 40,000 comparison, is like um, playing Space Hulk versus playing full War, Warhammer 40,000, where, where full Warhammer 40,000 is a game of third edition or Pathfinder or something like that. Space Hulk is the stripped down cousin that uses the same board elements, but um, but can be played in two hours. And I think we all enjoyed the, the setting and the vibe of the adventure. It was nice. It was creepy. It was disgusting. It was spooky. I think all the things that it set out to be. And we had a good time with the game itself. And, you know, I, I'd like to discuss some of the likes and dislikes we have of the, the system. I, I think we're all happy with like the feel and the setting, you know, the, the, the feel that the game is going for, would you say, Rick? I was afraid you were going to come to me first. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, but, uh, and that's a very, pretty big but. It's like, yes, but I did not find it unique uh, in the sense that, you know, we've already discussed, you know, it's like, it feels very much like what Warhammer had already done. It feels like, you know, Dungeon Crawl Classics is also kind of like that. You're a, you're a, you're not a hero. You're, uh, you know, you're a zero um, uh, level character rather. And uh, maybe not with like some of the, I don't know, man, this just was not my game. Uh, I mean, I think I said it before, if you could package up James Smith to come with it, to run it for you anytime you wanted to play it, I'm there anytime. But uh, as far as, uh, you know, separate from that, yeah, this one's just not for me. Trevor, would you like to add on to that at all? So I think um, my take after playing Morkborg is that um, it's a great evening game, right? A one evening, one off, one shot palate cleanser. Um, I see it as something, for instance, to carry the metaphor further, uh, like the Space Hulk, right? It's a great thing that sits in the tradition of role-playing um, and in the hands of somebody who's running it well, it's gonna, it's gonna sing. But any role-playing game run by the right person is gonna sing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So this, this has all the tools there to somebody who wants to spend the time deciphering them. And I could see where for a group of people, deciphering it is part of the fun. Uh, that's well, no. what the hell does Mark Ford mean anyway? <laughs> do, do we know? I actually do not know, but you know what does is this because nice I know why Warhammer is called Warhammer, you know, it means dark castle. There you go, oh, okay, which is really in, in which language? Uh, Swedish, I believe. Hang huh. on, all right, so the comparisons to. No, I'm not going to go there. Um, so, yeah, I I think I'm going to kind of disagree slightly uh, with Trevor and also Rick, but like Rick's speaking <laughs> to taste. Uh, also, like if you want to package me up and run this uh, anytime, I will do that. Uh, I think I think it does actually go well for a campaign or, or is well suited for a campaign in that the setting in the very beginning if you if you decipher it uh because it's very like cryptic and it's uh here are some things but it doesn't really make a lot of connections or fill in a lot of details so it's it's really up to the gm to to piece all of it together but the setting very much implies uh, a 
situation where the world is ending and and in fact there's a table for how many days uh away the end of the world is in fact and it is set up for the the characters to somehow either stop or maybe even herald quicker this ending um i can very much imagine running a enemy within style campaign uh and if anybody's ever played in that that campaign can last years i think i think it would work fairly well for a campaign and there's a couple things in the mechanics that maybe we'll talk about later that i think help with that yeah so not not to uh keep going after rick but let's hear from rick about what he actually liked about this game well there's uh i think Todd and I were talking about, and Trevor were talking about, like before we we pressed play or record, rather, um, that there's there's a nifty little stripped down system within these covers. It's just getting it out of it for me is akin to uh, not torture. Torture is a strong word, <laughs> but I just you know if they if they had like a uh, you know a no art version. Like uh, frequently a lot of uh, games offer like a no art version. I'd be all over that because I find it very, you know, the, I recognize the talent and uh, the know-how necessary to, to put a book together like this with the, with the layout skills and so forth. It's just, I find it distracting. The best way I can describe it is if we're going to use the doom metal analogy uh, that's where the guys have really got the guttural, like demon voice, right? Correct. Well, yeah. I mean, doom yeah. metal is slower, and death metal is faster, definitely. But, but the voice is like, oh, 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 you know, like that, right? Generally yeah. speaking, actually, and also Rick, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, like, that's a good growl. Do you uh, want to join a death metal band? The Sex Pistols and Johnny unique voice that you know that especially back when the sex pistols first uh you know uh debuted i know i'm speaking to my age here uh was like nothing we had seen nothing we had heard nothing uh before so that's one thing for music it's another thing for like a book on tape like an audio book and that's what i'm looking for out of my rpgs is something that i can easily reference and get what I need out of. I mean, the audience at home, of course, can't, you know, I'm holding up the book right now. I can't do that with this. It's just, it's a chaotic mess. By design, I, I acknowledge that. And it's, it is one of the more artistic books that I've come across. I just not really interested in that. I want OSE is what I want, you know, uh, to bring up our recent show, we covered OSE, uh, the layout uh, icon that it is. That's that's more what I'm looking for. And if that makes me the old guy, I am the old guy. I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> so I, I'm going to segue this to what I like about it. After trying to just flip through the book and find what I was looking for, I did realize that in the inside cover on the front and the back there are actually very useful uh, charts and indexes and i think james mentioned uh you can pretty much run the game using like one two three four five six pages of this book 
Okay. So here's my, uh, here's my, this is truly a question. And I, I'm, I'm going to look to you guys to offer me your opinions and, you know, tell me, no, that's not the way it is. But wouldn't this truly be a better project if it was one of those one page RPGs with the crazy layout and everything and where like, you know, the eye is, is drawn from like, you know, uh, random, you know, like arrows pointing down here, then you go back up there, but it's presented as like a one page RPG. Did they not pad out what essentially was a one page RPG into like, uh, I don't, there's no page numbers, so I can't even tell you how many pages this book is. <laughs> but uh, so I mean, come on, there's entire pages in here that have no text on them whatsoever. The quality, I, mean, yeah, I mean, many books have double page, you know, spreads of artwork and so forth. But um, uh, I just, yeah, I do want to say this is going to be the episode where people decide. So that's the guy I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> so the quality of this book is incredible it, it, it's it's very nice it, it feels good like when you pick it up and touch it it feels good yes uh, there's there so to i i'm not going to disagree with rick in that uh i think the design of the book is very intentional uh for for people at home the the thing about the book is each page has a different layout um and it is very much uh, magazine style layout, yes. uh, as opposed to informational design. Yes, um, I do think uh, what Todd said is is correct. You can basically run the entire system, and and funny you should say it's like a one page RPG. Rick uh, is the the end page, the last page in the end pages, is all you need to run the game. Pretty much, uh, there's an index right next to it if you want to like look for the specifics of the rules. But you can run, at least, I think a lot of people could run the game with just that end page. Uh, but the the layout itself, I think what it is trying to do is serve as a mechanism to immerse you in a theme or an aesthetic. Uh, and I think it does that well. But if you're, you're right, like if you're trying to pick up this system uh, and, and quickly learn this RPG, it's, it's rather difficult. Uh, it forces you, it could, it forces you to be confronted by the layout, uh, which is definitely, I think an art decision, but maybe not great for a um, information design. So to pick up from that, I, I, I think I agree with Rick and, and I also agree with James. The, the decision is intentional right? From a design perspective, this is exactly confrontational in its nature, just like doom metal is confrontational in nature. Um, and at the same time, it also, the design fails for somebody who is trying to find the through line and, um, and easily and quickly reference it. And so to me, the only lifeline this book offers to any type of understanding is the index on the inside back cover. If that index did not exist, this would be in a foreign language to me. Um, and I have 30 plus years role-playing experience, right? Because there's, there's no way that index creates that through line. And it's the only thing, I, I don't know if you've noticed, it's the only thing that's traditionally laid out. Yes. Yeah. Right? Except they chose, of course, the two most clashing colors they possibly could. I think that that bright yellow and the black, I don't, that's why, you know, that's where they use them on traffic signs and so forth. That is, yeah. 
And uh, it's it's a bit much on my eyes. I mean, like, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, did they have to use that yellow? Uh, but, you know. Um, but also to the production quality, I mean, they've used every printing bell and whistle on the on the on the card on the book. Right. Yeah. It's sewn. It's true signatures. Oh, yeah. Has, no doubt. It has a silk uh, ribbon in it. Could have more. That'd be wonderful because you've got to reference so many pages. Um, it has it has thermographic ink on it. And that's where you're getting the, the Spock gloss. It is debossed. Right. And so they've actually got they've actually yeah. gone and paid for a stamp. It's also soft touch on top of that. And uh, and the printing is in three dimensions. So they're actually printing. It's it's like glass or plastic filled ink that creates depth to the to the cover, and yeah. so there's also a hidden there's a hidden thing. Did you know that the spine glows in the dark? Yeah, I did notice that, and and you can only see it because it's that it's a it's a it's a clear uh, glow in the dark thermographic ink that they printed on it, and yeah, and so um, so yeah, in the in the dark in the night when you were you know in a, in a black place, you can find your morkboard. Um, <laughs> So, Trevor, are you implying that this book is going to be sturdier and last longer than most people's unearthed arcanas? No. And the reason <laughs> is it's missing the wonderful linen uh, paper cover, right? So your unearthed arcana should last forever. This right. is going to last a long time, though. This, I mean, you could definitely throw this in a backpack and not be too worried about it for right. a while. Uh, oh, and the soft touch, which is just a coating. Um, rubs off and it looks horrible. As a matter of fact, I, the viewers won't be able to see this, but I happen to be a, a fond of these karst um, uh, uh, journals. And the reason is, is the paper is made of stone dust, right? Yeah. Oh, nice. It's, it's literally stone. Really nice. it's, it's alabaster stone that's impregnated into plastic. They're, they're indestructible. They're 100% waterproof, but they use that soft touch cover and you can see that it wears down and gets you know everything as I use it, and so it, it starts looking pretty junky after a while. Yeah, but, that's yeah. that soft touch cover. A lot of the uh, special edition covers for fifth edition are using um, that sort of cover. Yeah, and it's it's just a it's just a coating that they put on it, but it has you know I've heard, I've I've heard the I, I watched an interview with the one from Mixam Press, and she she mentioned she's like people either love it or they hate it. Right. So you either you feel this and you're like, ooh, it's rich. It's 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 got depth to it. It, it adds to the experience or you're like, man, that it's, feels uncomfortable. It's really hard to keep mm -hmm. it in mint condition. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, I haven't told you guys what I liked yet. There's there's one thing that I really, really, really like in this game. And and I and it's something that I didn't get to experience firsthand. James did. And that's the module layout in the back. Um, the module layout has, it has a brief intro. I didn't read this or anything before James ran it. I didn't know he was going to run that. Uh, it has a full size layout of the, what is essentially a one story structure. Um, I was never sure. I think it's in the side it's, of a mountain or something. Yeah, it is two story, but it, it for all intents and purposes doesn't matter. Yep. But. And then, and then what it does is it repeats uh, page after page after page. It has two columns and one column is the map showing you exactly where you're at. And below that are the stripped down statistics for the monsters you're encountering on that page. And then there's a line, a vertical line that gives you physical visual separation, which I really like. And then each room is not described in a flavor text box. 
It is described by, on the north side, you see this. On the west side, you see this. So it, it is north, east, west, and south descriptions for the space. Uh, and that's really, really helpful in my eyes because everything is short, everything is clipped, uh, which allows me as a game master, someone, you know, I, I like to elaborate on things. And that's what I bring to a game session if I'm running a module is all the extra stuff. The things that I hate about modules are fantasy flight modules, which are 96 page tomes of dense text that you're trying to break out. This is so deconstructed in its, in its module layout that I can literally run this on the fly with no prep. And, uh, and I can build and make notes off the side and make it different every single time, which to me is a win-win um, in, in layout design. And it's hard to achieve. Um, you know, we're starting to see these deconstructed layout designs in like Mothership, but yes, here, this is, this is for short set piece modules. This is a great example of what you can do. So I'm, I'm looking through this module for the first time now, now that you mention it. Yeah. And I, I do absolutely love how it's laid out. I love how the artwork in the module part actually accentuates all the encounters. And, and in a lot of ways, that contrasts with the rest of the of a yep. lot of the book in which the, it's more of a random chaos. It's like it's like the module was laid out by someone that was lawful neutral and the rest <laughs> of the book was chaotic evil. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, my favorite thing about the module layout is the, under the title of each room, they use the same, they have some metallic text that is the description of the room. But for the description of the room, they always do the same um, thing where they start with a smell, uh, some visual things in the room, and anything you hear. And, I absolutely love that they put some emphasis on smell, uh, which is like, you know, smells in the dungeon are, are you know, not going to be good. But uh, it, it just uh, was really nice for uh, reading the description and adding, giving the dungeon master some, uh, the DM some uh, tips for like how to elaborate on the room. I think you had brought that up like before we started our session. And so I remember actually asking as we encountered a new room, like specifically what it smelled like. Yes. And, and now I, I want all of my adventures to have the smell notated. For well, each remember room. that every other Saturday night during our AD&D game. I, well, you, know, you know, as a game master, one of the most important things you can do is evoke the setting. It's your job right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have one job. <laughs> That's basically it. And, and the sense of smell is incredibly powerful. As a matter of fact, I think they actually have this in sensory primation, right? So sense of smell is the first thing you, you evoke. The sense of vision is the second because it's, it's as almost as powerful and then, and then touch and feel and, and everything comes after that. But, um, but just having, I mean, it's, it's smell is the one thing that's missing from 90% of the modules I've ever read. Yeah. Right. Usually if you get smell, it's usually tied in with uh, trolls. Uh, Odiug, is that how you say it? Yep. And Odiugs. Odiugs. Uh, I, I mean, there's a handful of creatures that 
seem to always include, you know, the fragrance of the area. Yeah, which is a tip off to a game mechanic normally. Yeah, like you're bro- to broadcast a game mechanic to a player. Yeah, I know um, troglodytes in first edition AD and uh, but other than that, a, a lot of times things uh, the 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 sense of, of smell is overlooked a little bit in the dungeon descriptions. Yeah, and so this is. I mean, I think I think that people could take learning cues from this. Yeah, and so, and so to me, that's a that's that's the, what uh, writes the book alone. Chocolate smell exactly like patchouli. <laughs> I, I'm one of the weird people that like the smell of patchouli. <laughs> so uh, I, I feel like most of our likes and dislikes have all been rolled into the same conversation. So I, I don't feel like we have to go through likes and dislikes separately. Unless, uh, Trevor, you want to go ahead and throw out a dislike that you had. Um, you know, it... it, it I think I alluded to this earlier and I know Rick has talked about this. For me, the biggest dislike is um, from a role-playing perspective is probably the thing that I like the most from a visual design perspective um, outside the module. And that's, I do like seeing the clash of color and text and texture on the page from a design perspective, but from a role-playing perspective, I find it incredibly distracting. Right. And, and as a as a game master or a player, when I'm in a pinch and the game master and I've got a table of people waiting for me to make a decision and I'm new at a game and I'm trying to figure out what exactly it is that the esoteric hermit does. Um, I'm feverishly looking through my pages trying to figure that out. And if I can't decipher that quickly, that's a failure of game design and of itself. Um, so so, you know, to me, the the visual cacophony can often get in the way of quick visual finds. And, and so, you know, because it becomes overwhelming after a time. So that would be the thing that I dislike the most. Um, I don't have a problem with the mechanics. I think it's great. Um, like I said, it feels to me like a, unlike James, it feels to me like a short lived played game, almost like a board game. This is very, very reminiscent to me of a board game. Which yeah. is not a bad thing. They're great board games. Yeah. I have five copies of Space Hulk. I've played it since it came out in 19. 19- I'm so jealous. <laughs> I, I want I want a copy so bad, and I can't find a copy. Really? Yeah. So I, I mean, I have I, I actually I, I have the I have all the various new edition printings, but I have all the way back to the original. You know, I got Space Hulk on my 15th birthday, the day it was released. So, or pretty close to the day it was released. So yeah, yeah. So so to me, you keep coming back to those familiar friends once you decipher them. So I actually like my hot take is maybe this is also an, an intentional because I think one of the things about what you said that triggered something in my mind was, you know, when you're a player and you're like, what does the esoteric Kermit do? Like, how do I, how do I play this? And you, you start flipping through the pages. I think for old school, uh, old school games in particular, the answers are not in the book on what you should do. And so in some way, I wonder if like the not being able to quick reference, like the rule, the rules text is actually kind of encouraging people to put the book down when they're playing. I would love to, I would love to ask that question actually uh, to, to Pell uh, Nielsen or uh, one of the other uh, people involved in this because that is- that's yeah. an interesting perspective. 
so uh you know the, this is where i like to get to the the point of the show where it's like the the big uh so what i had a college professor that would always talk about the big so what so what why should we play this game uh, i'm looking you know i'm surrounded by shelves of games we we uh play shades of D, like all the time why this one why would we choose this one james if you were going to run us through a Morkborg campaign, why would you choose Morkborg over Lamentations or over DCC? Um, the, over DCC is hard for me. Over Lamentations is easy for me because I don't, I don't like Lamentations. Okay. Um, but uh, the reason I would choose Morkborg is, one, the if I wanted to run something more in the Warhammer, like uh, in-your-face, like flail to the face, your character's dead, roll up another go. Um, and with a very like gritty, you know, the world is ending kind of game, I would I would choose this. Over DCC, I'm not sure. I think it where I would choose it over DCC is probably actually, and I'm gonna like contradict something I said earlier, is because you could run it really quickly the only thing about DCC that sometimes makes it cumbersome to run quickly is the spell descriptions. Um, and uh, the spell descriptions in Morkberg are literally a sentence. That's it. Uh, it. It actually reminds me of Nave a lot uh, in that way. If you've ever played that by um, um, Ben Olsen. Yeah, I would choose it because I want to pick up something where we don't talk about the rules. We don't spend a lot of time rolling characters. We just launch into a story and go. Yeah, um, and, and that being said, if you could slide this into your laptop laptop bag, something you know you can't do with the DCC book, uh, not if you want to take your laptop too. So it is portable. It's you know fairly self-contained. Uh, so. I can, I can see some appeal to dragging it along on a, a road trip with some friends, even if it's not my flavor, my typical flavor, you know, I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the adventure that we played in it and, and giving it a try and, you know, just the, the different aesthetic of it as compared to some of the other stuff we play. The other reason I would pick it is if I had to hack like if I wanted to hack and add my own stuff in like to change the system, I think it is a much smaller system that lends well to changes uh, and hacking like uh, that. That's my other, my other yeah. take. So it does seem very hackable. I, I can see where someone might want to use it as the basis for, you know, even if they don't want to use the Morkborg setting, I can see them stripping the core mechanics out and using it. And didn't you say there is a lot of supplemental yes. material available, which is another reason people might choose it is, you know, if there's lots of user created content on the internet, people love that stuff. They love pouring through it. There's, so there's also a cyberpunk version coming out also. So like you can change the setting out from under it and the core system is very short and you could add pieces to it, hack it like, um, and the, and it's open licensed. So. 
Yeah, I, I see this as the game that you that if you're going to do that again, I see it as a road trip game. I think that's a great idea as a palate cleanser, like I've mentioned before. But if you're gonna if you're gonna hack this, this is the game where you literally you know tape in your rule supplement because uh, it only needs to be a page right over the page that you're replacing. Yeah, uh, and so I could see this thing over the years filled with little notes and incursions and everything and becoming Index cards. <laughs> yeah, becoming a living artifact. Um, mainly because it's it's so visually sacrosanct that I would not be opposed to doing that. Whereas, you know, I, I'm generally loath to write or modify role-playing game books. This one, I wouldn't have that big of a problem with. <laughs> so, yeah, right. absolutely. <clears throat> Rick, Rick, do you have anything to say on that topic? Uh, not necessarily on that topic. Uh, I know that uh, I've, I've kind of like, over the past couple episodes we did, I, I had adopted this segment where we talk about how magic missile works in that particular shade of D&D. And I guess some of the shades of D&D stray further from the source than others. And so there's really not a magic missile in here. They're, the powers, as I understand it, are like, uh, they basically work from scrolls. So uh, there's not a really true, like a true magic user or cleric in here. But characters that can use scrolls and there's unclean scrolls, which I take it to mean are the closest thing to arcane spells that I could determine. And then sacred ones, which are like, uh, you know, the clerical, uh, that type of spell. So there's a uh, there's like a fireball, like a ball of fire is literally how it's described. And there's a lightning bolt one, but there's not really one that uh, that really matched up with magic missiles. So. For this uh, particular game, they, you know, can't really include that. Um, so there's that. So uh, there is something that I really, really like about this game, but I'm going to stroll into the Thieves Guild and talk about it. And this, I am probably getting ready to steal uh, for my first edition AD&D game on Saturday nights. And that is the initiative system. Instead of each side rolling a d6 to see who goes first each character each player character rolls a d6 and on a four five or six you go before the monster and a one two or three you go after the monster and i love that there have been so many times like in ad and d that let, let's say the monster does win the initiative and they attack first, but then every single player character gets to act. And then if you roll initiative again and the players win, every single player character gets to attack again first. And then oftentimes a lot of uh, creatures, you know, like a party of second level characters were fighting an ogre, the, the ogre would be dead by then. Uh, in this, I, I think it I, I like how it balances, you know, some of, some of the party will go before him, some will go after it, but still keeping the dice rolls simple without having to roll a D20 for every single player at the table and putting the modifiers on it and, and such. It just seems like a good, quick, streamlined way to do it, which is very reminiscent of Adam from Metal Gods of Ur Haddad, how he yeah. has run his game whenever we played with him. 
Yeah, I was going to say Adam Miscavige is the the first time I've I was introduced to that system. So I I in my head it's the Adam Miscavige uh, initiative system. Right, <laughs> Rick. Did you see anything in this game that you would want to steal? The uh, the rabid enthusiasm it seems to install in its fan base. Uh, you know, I've got some games that I wish that I like that I wish were like had that kind of enthusiasm behind it because then maybe they'd. You know, the creator would uh, would uh, would be, you know, do better and and uh, in the sense that, you know, actually be motivated to provide more. Uh, but uh, no, I said before, I don't think this one's it's just it's going to happen. Um, we might eventually come across a game on this show that you guys don't care for, uh, but this one's going to be mine. Um, I tried. Uh, it's just. Uh, there's really nothing from this game that I don't prefer the way another game does it. That's it. So I, I do have to admit, I like the character creator on the online character creator. Yeah. I mean, there's net, I mean, purple sorcerer for a DCC. That's always going to be, that, that. that's my, my favorite character creator, but I like that this one uh, adds a few more bells and whistles as far as I, it gives you the name and everything ready to go. So, right. If you needed an NPC, bam, you know, uh, you don't even have to come up with the name. It, it already did that for you. So uh, that was cool. But, um, you know, it's hard to steal that for another system when it's specific to Mark Fork. I have to agree. And I'll go so far as to say no other game that I can think of visually epitomizes enthusiasm the way that this game does. You know, and, and I, I'm kind of with you, Rick. It's, it's not necessarily a game that I feel like I would ever use to run for anybody, but I wouldn't hesitate to play in another uh, one shot or, or maybe a short campaign. Uh, it interests me enough that I would gladly play it again. But yeah, like I said, if, if Jane was to, to offer to run it or anybody, you know, in our circle of friends or, uh, you know, uh, the the D and D slash OSR slash whatever community uh, was offering to run it. Yeah, I'd sit down and play it, like at DugCon or something like that. But uh, uh, if they ever do those again, uh, that that's it, you know. Uh, but I would do the same if like they were like, hey, let's play Rollmaster. Not typically my cup of tea, but if somebody I knew and liked and respected was going to do it. I'd, I'd give them like the, I mean, and hopefully they do the same. If I ever was to say like, Hey, let's play and you know, whatever like crazy game it is that I only seem to like and nobody else does. I, think I agree with Rick. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think Rollmaster has hands down the best skill system ever created. Well, dude, you run it and I'll play it. I love Rollmaster. I'm in. <laughs> I, I'm in. Please run yeah. it. I love Rollmaster. The only thing you need to change in that is the XP system. Um, but one thing I would steal from this is for people who are building, uh, like in DCC, if I'm going to have people build a, a funnel characters, I really loved the, the short background, this is who you are. Um, uh, you know, five or six sentences that say, you are this guy. I mean, my guy was arrogant and conflicted, stuttered from stress. Uh, loses important items and vital facts, deserted the military after witnessing a massacre, has a bounty on his head, hunted by a former, a former friend. 
Now, not all that came into play in immediately, but there are things that I can use role-playing wise as, 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 you know, there are things as crutches. There are things that I can use to make my character sound and act differently. Um, and there's, there's an alluded to past that's difficult and problematic. And for, for someone who loves to roll the dice as much as they love to roll the persona, um, you know, I think that's a really good system. And it, and it was all achieved with like five dice rolls. So again, automation, I could see something like Purple Sorcerer integrating that into your characters so that, hey, I'm the twisted corn farmer who, you know, has, has had this, there you go, uh, who has, uh, he's just showed me Rollmaster Express. Uh, which I haven't gotten to see yet. Um, anyway, I think that was a brilliant system and I wouldn't mind stealing it. I also like the ex, uh, the ex, um, the initiative system too. You know, initiative, as a matter of fact, most of the time when I run now, I've adopted a pre-init system where I tell everybody, let's go ahead and roll an initiative so we've got one sitting on the table, right? Right. Because that way I can, I can say, ah, the spiders jump out at you. And as a matter of fact, they win surprise. So they do X, Y, and Z. And then Bob, you're up first. Right. And we can keep it going. But other than that, um, you know, I really like the do you go before or after the monster? I think it was it was quick. It was clean. It was board game like. I would agree with that. Had if not just like Todd's case, I'd been exposed to it from Adam first. So if I was to use that and I would likely would, I would think I wouldn't think of it. Well, we're going to use more Borg's initiative system. I'd be like, we're going to use my friend Adam's initiative system. Sure. So, and maybe Adam got it from the same place that Mark Borg guy did. Uh, I do not know. You know. We will we will have to bring Adam, friend of the show, on and, and ask that question sometime. Sure. And then Sounds I will like ask him what he's what he's drinking and what he's spinning. That's right. <laughs> so so James, do you want to have some uh, final words on this oh, game? Hold, and hold on, hold on. Okay. I didn't get to say what I I want to steal. <laughs> My final word says, hold on, I'm stealing stuff over here. Oh, okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so what I would steal, uh, what what I wanted to say was the dungeon layout, which I absolutely will steal. Um, but uh, the one thing I think I really like in this system uh, that is something that I had, I, other game systems like this that are short, like Nave, uh, Black Hack, uh, a lot of these, even the pamphlet crawl classics uh, hack I put together, one of the things I was never happy with out of all of them is the armor class system. Uh, and I think Morkborg like gave the perfect what I was looking for like system. Um, so the way armor class works is it's damage reduction, but there are only three tiers. Uh, there's first tier, no armor, so no damage reduction. Second tier is light, and it, uh, it's a D2 damage reduction. And medium is the next, uh, that is a D4 and heavy, so four, sorry, four tiers. Uh, heavy is a D6. Uh, why wouldn't they just say the first, uh, the first, like no armor? Why then would you say that's like a zero tier? I mean, that, that's, that's no armor, they call it zero, tier zero. I mean, okay. Yeah, uh, this is me reading and and messing it up. Sure. But uh, <laughs> I, I really like that basically the way it works is uh, if you uh, fumble uh, you or you get critted, your tier of armor goes down one. Uh, so the damage reduction goes down over time. 
And um, on top of that, uh, it adds a plus like traditional OSR games to 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 hit to the to the difficulty roll. So the default in the whole system is a twelve. Uh, each tier adds a uh, plus two to that, um, so that it's more difficult for you to be hit. Um, reduces damage. the The armor breaks over time, and then shields uh, takes the classic OSR shields uh, shall be broken or shields shall be splintered, whatever description there. And you can choose to sacrifice your shield to remove all damage basically from a hit. I, I love that system. I would steal it uh, and will steal it uh, probably several times. <laughs> was uh, there's also, I'd like to hear more from James. Is, was there anything that you didn't like? That I didn't like. Um, well, to be honest, like uh, kind of similar to your dislikes, Rick, uh, it, being able to quickly digest parts of this book is difficult because of the layout. I, I would normally say that that design aesthetic changing layout every page, one of the things that normally happens there is that uh, as someone who is dyslexic, uh, it there invariably will be like really difficult to read sections. I didn't have that with this actually. They did a really good job with kerning and choosing fonts that uh, are fairly, for the most part, uh, friendly. I, I the the actual paragraph text still uh, I struggle with, but um, yeah. But the the changing of the layout each page makes it a little difficult to digest. Anything else I didn't like? Um, I think so. For a few of the rules, um, the short description was great, and uh, you know forces you to make rulings. But there was a couple. Uh, and I'm having trouble remembering which ones particularly, but there was a couple that were just a little bit too brief. Uh, and I wanted a little bit more elaboration. Uh, and and that might be coming in some of the upcoming stuff that's coming out. But um, yeah, yeah, that was that was really it. I, I really liked a lot of this game. So and this game's got a real uh, it's got a real big uh, third party um are they are they trying to emulate the layout style? Some and of them do. Have some they of them been don't. successful? Yeah, okay. some some of them do. Some of them don't. I would say, by and large, most people seem to try to. Um, sure. There, there's a couple other interesting layouts. Uh, so the some of them try to emulate the layout of the adventure at the end of this book. So a lot of the adventures have that, that layout, which is great. That, that, yeah. That is, I, I gave that a second look when you guys were talking about it. Because to be honest, I didn't give it a fair enough look in the first place. And I'll agree. I wish the whole book was laid out like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've seen a maybe, lot of Maybe important. have like some two-page uh, chapter dividers where go nuts, man. Show me a, a, a like an actual human heart or whatever that is on that one page or the upside yes. down silver cross on the other page. Go nuts, man. Knock yourself out, but then go back to that format for the actual text of the game. I'd be much more inclined to like it. Yeah, and a lot of the third-party publishers ha can't toe the line of this type of aesthetic, right? There's a lot more exposition. There's a yeah. lot more discussion. And so it's much more traditional. And, and even though they've got bright colors on it. It's uh, you know it, it definitely is you know this is a this is an exercise in role playing minimalism, and and I think it's a as a designer, 
I think it's an interesting road to go down and ask yourself, what is the absolute minimum I can get away with and still communicate these rules? And sometimes this fails and sometimes it succeeds, but that also tells you something about exposition. Like I mentioned earlier, I was a fantasy flight games, I think failed 90% of the time on their exposition. I, I was a play tester for most of their dark Imperium product line, uh, our dark heresy product line and, and, and all of the Warhammer 40,000 products. And the text becomes burdensome, right? In order to find the details, it's, it is, it is a chore. And, and having run those myself, both in play test and post play test, almost impossible to run is a good coherent story and hoe tightly to the, the, you know, what they wanted you to do. And so this, I wouldn't have a problem with, you know, in terms of its, uh, uh, you know, design module or module design, uh, but other areas it's, it's hard to, it's hard to read. So. So guys, I, I think it's about time to bring this to a close. And I definitely want to thank, Trevor for joining us. Yeah. Uh, today. No problem. Welcome. Yeah. Thank I you, can't Trevor. think about, I mean, as a matter of fact, with Trevor's knowledge of like design and, and so forth, I can't think, I mean, we, this seemed like a random choice, but he was a perfect guest for this. Well, thanks. Hey, and of all the guests we've had, you're definitely in the top two so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I super enjoyed having uh, you in the game, Trevor. Like, I really, uh, really enjoyed your character. And uh, maybe that's where my campaign stuff is coming from, because I'm like, I want to play that game again. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and to me, rule sets aside, I mean, I've, I just like just like Rick said, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of the hero system, but I've played it. And, uh, and in a good, you know, when you've got a good game master or you have a good group of people, it doesn't matter to me what rule set you're asking me to do. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a randomizer. And, uh, and so, um, you know, what I like is the, you know, and what I sink my teeth into when I get into a game that I don't know anything about is the character. And, you know, and I try and create and evoke a character that is, um, that's different, right? That's something that, you know, somebody can go, ah, I remember that character. That was a lot of fun. And it's, it's fun to explore those things. You know, Mork Borg is a dark game. So I created a dark character and, um, and, and, you know, you hopefully life won't mimic that all the time, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it was definitely fun to explore. So uh, I, I guess it's time to say goodbye and leave our listeners with some advice from the good advice dwarf. Never split the party. Never shoot into melee. Listen and check for traps. See ya. Bye, everybody. Bye. Okay.